Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, Dr. Eric Russell and I continue our servant leadership discussions and explore the concept and the connection between selfish and unselfish mindset and servant leadership. Dr. Eric Russell, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to be back with you, my friend. It's always fun to chat, and we always have good conversations even before we hit record and, and get rolling. Um, just catching up with you after the holidays, and and uh, now we're we're into the new semester at the university, and just uh, getting a chance to catch up has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has. It's a, good to see you. Today, we're going to continue our servant leadership conversation series. And I thought today would be fun to talk about unselfish mindset and the connection with servant leadership. Um, You know, it's not about us. It never was and it never will be. And so we're going to explore this uh, together uh, and what that can look like and the different aspects of what we might call selfishness or unselfishness and how it might connect to leadership and servant leadership. Before we get started, I do need to do at least a little bit of an introduction. Um, Dr. Russell uh, has joined me now on maybe a dozen or more of these servant leadership conversations. We might even be up to like 15 or so. Um, and I would invite listeners to go back onto the uh, Human Capital Innovations website to the podcast tab, and you can um, see all the episodes either in order as they've come out or by topic. Uh, and one of the areas is all of our servant leadership conversations. And so you can go back to the, to the back catalog and check all of those out. Um, Dr. Russell has joined me uh, on a number of these, and he is an HCI research associate and an associate professor of emergency services at Utah Valley University uh, with extensive experience in um, in emergency services, fire services, and doing consulting work uh, around the globe. So it's a real pleasure, Eric, to have you back. And we've known each other for a really long time and um, are good friends. So it's it's always fun to have these conversations with you. Yeah, looking forward to this. So Eric, I know that you've done uh, a lot of thinking and writing along the lines of this, the selfish, unselfish kind of dichotomy and the different forms that it might take in our work life and how that might connect with servant leadership. Would you mind giving us just a quick overview of your initial thinking along the lines of the role of unselfish mindset in servant leadership? And then we can go from there. Sure, absolutely. Um, One of the faults of servant leadership literature uh, is it left this huge gap of what's in it for me. And in 2014, I just had this epiphany 
Um, and it was based on um, Rand's book, The Virtue of Selfishness. And if I had if I had the ability to go back, I would have told her that that was the worst, worst thing she could have made the title because the book should have been The Virtue of Rational Selfishness. Because there is there is a, a, a universal difference between irrational selfishness and rational selfishness. But that thought kept going with me through um, my work in servant leadership. And then finally I sat down and I came up with this um, theoretical concept that was published in servant leadership theory and practice known as uh, the servant leadership cycle of benefit. And what it is is, is the cycle of benefit exists in servant leadership and it's a constant cycle. It never goes away because there is always this tangible and intangible benefit to the servant leader through their service to the follower. And it could be something as simple as what Adam Smith said, which is you find happiness in the success of others. Um, selling servant leadership is very difficult in the corporate world it, because of the high speed, low drag, winner takes all mentality that has to exist in order to be a, a successful for-profit company and the same in, in very alpha professions of military and fire and police and things like that. But when you show them that when you serve the needs of others, that that in fact serves you, um, servant leadership starts to make sense. Instead of, instead of what the literature has done ever since, and Greenleaf never intended people to um, interpret servant leadership that way. And he, he, put it out to the, he put it out to the universe, hoping that people would have been able to take it and say, hey, listen, these are the benefits that exist of being a servant leader. And nobody did. And so from the cycle of benefit, that kind of took off. I got some feedback on that after it was published. But then we ran um, research with C-suite um, level executives. Uh, I, th I think we had 10 of them in that study from all different for-profit, very successful industries. And those, what we found was, is there was, when we ask them about what happens when you meet the needs of your followers, what happens when you have trust of your followers? And we never pushed servant leadership. We never even brought it up. We just used a lot of the characteristics of constructs. And what came back was huge. Um, one of the biggest ones was freedom from management. Like that was, that was massive that these people who were very successful realized that when you meet the needs of others, your people grow, that frees you as an individual from that day-to-day -day grind of having to manage them because they're now free. They can now self-actualize. They can now can now grow and be creative and innovative. And that that was one of the the major findings that came out of that study. There was a few of them, but that that was one of them. But that's really what it's about is too much servant leadership is is wrapped up in religiosity and it doesn't do it doesn't do the philosophy any favors because the truth is is being a servant leader is a rational selfish decision to be selfless to others so you yourself can benefit and that benefit comes to you even unconsciously there are people that that don't even think about that 
but their happiness, money, legitimate power, um, the, the, the gifting of the ability to persuade all comes from the fact that you serve others and others then gift those things to you. Yeah, thank you for that overview and, and uh, going into a little bit of the research that you've done. I know, again, I know you've done a lot of work in this area, um, both on the academic side and in terms of speaking and consulting uh, and, and, and writing even for more practitioner-oriented audiences. Uh, and it, it's an interesting thing because as I was preparing for today, um, trying to you know decide on which topic to focus on, and trying to consider, um, you know, this particular topic, like the different angles uh, we could take with it. And I had the same thought, like on, on the one hand, I, I love the idea of pure altruism. I, I love the idea of it. Um, I, I don't know what it is about my upbringing, about the values, you know, that were ingrained in me at a young age, but I love this idea of just completely selfless individual willing to, to lay themselves on the line for the people around them with no thought to themselves. And part of that comes back to, you know, religious and spiritual um, teachings and upbringing. Um, but that's, that still resonates with me. And I love the idea of altruism, but like, how, how do you actually put that, like operationalize altruism in the real world? Uh, and especially within an organization, when you're leading in a corporation, like you said, with the, this high, these high stakes, you need to have outcomes and measure your KPIs, and you need to make sure that uh, you're meeting all your benchmarks. And and you know, how do you convince people in that kind of an environment to be altruistic, like in in kind of the truest sense of of how most people probably think of the word? And it, it becomes really problematic uh, be, for a number of reasons. Um, and, and one of the biggest issues I've seen in my own personal life is I, I see myself as one, I, I like want to embrace that. I want to be altruistic. I want to put the needs of others before myself. But you know what, when you do that consistently, you tend to burn out. Like you don't, you don't practice self-care. I have felt this way many times in the past. Like I, I just felt selfish for like taking care of myself, like selfish for getting enough sleep, selfish for mm -hmm for getting exercise because that's time that I'm spending instead of helping my kids or instead of helping my wife or, or whatever. And so that's like, that's a personal flaw of mine. Like I, it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing wrestle that I, I have even today as I try to figure out and balance and practice self-care and, you know, prioritize my own physical and mental health. <clears throat> and so that, that rub, you know, and talking about unselfishness, which sometimes I equate with kind of this altruistic motive and doing things versus this rational selfishness, which doesn't mean you're just this ego-driven uh, hedonist, but no. it, it, it means, you know, that, that the reality is there will be mutual reciprocal benefit, right? That it's just mm -hmm. natural. It, it, it's, it's the way it works, that you will, you will get something back. Uh, from the way you you lead and serve other people. Um, so that's something I, I try to wrap my mind around that I try to balance uh, and, and deal with that tension. Uh, any any thoughts about that as you hear me babble on? Oh, you're not you're not babbling. You're actually hitting on uh, you're hitting on something that a lot of people who come into servant leadership and they're like they they they're like, well, 
how do I be more altruistic? And I'm like, you can't. The, the truth is, is there is almost, and I, I, I don't know how else to say it, altru altruism outside of the existence between you and somebody else. So there's altruism between you and your wife. There, there just is. In order to have a healthy, a healthy relationship between two people, be it uh, co-workers, followers, that, it, and the altruism only exists in the moment of, I am giving 100% of myself to you and you're giving 100% of yourself to me in this moment, right? But altruism being used outside of those is a huge mistake. It's actually benevolence. Is people just wanna feel like they're doing good. And so we throw the word altruism out there. But let me tell you something. There isn't a single person, not one single person in the United States or around the globe that we put on pedestals that are famous and rich and successful that were altruistic. Nobody, nobody. Mother Teresa wasn't altruistic. She, she derived joy. And so the, the entire philosophy of altruism and, 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 and the definition of itself, it just doesn't exist because essentially there's always some type of a benefit. There is always some, and if there is always some type of a benefit, and let's talk about the religious aspect of it, right? Because a lot of people of religion come to servant leadership philosophy, and then they try to put a lot of, a lot of times they try to put a Christian spin on it, um, is they, they want to see it as this sacrifice thing. You know, there is no, there is no greater sacrifice than a man who lays down his life uh, for another. But if you're religious, you believe on the other side that there is glory in that sacrifice. So even, even in your faith, you believe that there is glory on the other side. And so even if you believe that, even that sacrifice itself is an altruistic. Because whatever exists on the other side, and nobody knows, if you believe that to your core, you believe that you're going to live in glory. And so therefore the whole entire concept of altruism starts to, starts to unravel. But then, but then people start to have problems with this. We see this in a lot of parents who feel that they have to sacrifice for their children and they can't take 20 minutes to go swing a kettlebell or, you know, or, or do some mindfulness. You're no good to your kids if you're unhealthy, you're no good to your kids. If you're depressed and you're anxious and, and you feel like everything's crumbling around you, but for some reason, you're just going to be the male praying mantis and sacrifice for the species. That's cultural. That's, that's actually culture that has been injected into the minds of people. And that's where you're at. As far as your religion, how you get pulled. It's like, I feel guilty that I go exercise and I go work out. And I say to myself, I come from a career field that if you didn't work out, I'm, I'm pissed at you. Like I, if you were, if you were Joe bag of donuts and you're coming to my, coming to my organization to work with me, it's like, mm -mm, no, because the fact that you are not being um, good to yourself and taking care of yourself means that you can't take care of, you can't take care of other people. And I can't rely on you because you got 35 pounds of chewed bubble gum for a butt. You know, I need you to actually be in your top physical condition to do that. And so I would argue, I would argue that personal responsibility is the greatest form of humility 
because you're saying that I'm going to take care of all of this stuff so nobody else has to, and then I can enter the fold ready and capable. Does that make sense? And so if I see, when I've done consulting with, with people that are at high levels, um, and I remember I worked, I worked with one that was in charge of a, a very huge nonprofit. And this individual was 60 pounds overweight, skin looked terrible, wasn't sleeping. And then it was telling me all of these problems with the organization was telling me all of these problems with the people. I think I've talked about this before. Well, we, we got them healthy. You know, I ended up going from being, hey, instead of trying to infuse servant leadership into um, your organization right now, we need to infuse servant leadership into you. We need to get you to grow. We need to get you to heal. We need to get you on the right track. And the funny thing was, they reached out to me six months, six months later and dropped a bunch of weight, was working out, was sleeping. Their home life was great. They were getting, getting close to their spouse again. Great relationship with their kids. And guess what? A lot of the problems that they had at this organization ended up going away. Why? Because now they're in tune, they're focused, they're razor sharp, they're there for their people. And their people are seeing that this individual is out there grinding and, and getting at it. And their people got at it too. Leadership isn't a joke. People actually look to, to their leaders for inspiration, stuff like that. We make fun of it a lot of times, but the truth is, is people who are in charge of organizations matter because organizations thrive a rot from the head down. And if you're unhealthy and not taking care of you and not taking care of you, if you're not taking time off, your people aren't taking time off. And if your people aren't taking time off, they're drowning. And so all of that, all of that is a cycle. All of it goes back to that cycle of benefit. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. There's a lot of research on this. Um, for example, specifically with with uh, taking vacation time, paid time off, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's extremely clear. It doesn't really matter how many days the organization gives to their people or what the policy says. What matters the most is what 
uh, people in positions of leadership actually do. So, you know, if, if I want to help my people uh, have work-life balance, that means I need to practice work-life balance. If I want them to take vacation time, that means I need to take my vacation time. Um, and everything you're saying absolutely resonates with me. Um, and again, it, it comes back to this, this just kind of internal wrestle of all this ingrained, you know, a lifetime of ingrained um, values, you know, of, of like saying this, this altruism and unselfishness is important. And, you know, it is, it is important that we don't walk around each and every day thinking um, solely about ourselves. It's important that we do think about the needs of others. Um, and, and I guess what you're pointing out is it's just a false dichotomy to say you're either selfish or you're, a completely unselfish, altruistic person right. willing to sacrifice everything. Yes. Um, and surprise, surprise, that it's not that simple. <laughs> um, that you can actually, you know, I, I think about it actually. Um, years ago, I was probably in my late 20s and I was in my doctoral program. I was stressed. I was putting on a little bit of weight and, um, and diabetes runs in my family. And so I remember at the time, you know, I didn't personally really care at the time, you know, I was stress eating. And so I didn't really care about it. I, I just figured it's how I was coping. And, uh, you know, I probably would have just kept going down that path, but my wife expressed some concern. Um, and you, what got me to, to, uh, shift some habits and to, to change the way I was eating and to get a little exercise, um, was my care for my family, for my wife. Like I wanted to make sure that I was there and healthy for her and that I didn't like slip into, um, you know, becoming diabetic because I, of some horrible habits and, you know, selfishly, that wasn't something I was ever going to even do because I just didn't care. Um, but, but because I cared about my family and because I cared about being there for them, then that helped me do some of the, the things that I needed to do to make sure that I was taking care of myself. Um, and so that's just one example, right? Like there's, it's, it's all interconnected. Um, and ultimately, you know, when, when I think about organizations with really great leaders, uh, those leaders do show selflessness. Um, they do show an orientation and focus on the development of, of their people. Um, they don't, you know, they're not all about themselves. They're not walking around, you know, with their ego on their sleeve, just trying to get attention from everyone. That's not what good leaders are about, but good leaders also recognize the need to, um, like they need to put their best foot forward. Otherwise they don't have credibility with the people at their level, right? They need to make sure that they're continuing to achieve. They need to make sure that, um, you know, they, they have to deal with kind of their own personal brand and their own uh, expertise to make sure that pe people, um, you know, at their level or higher in the organization uh, will listen to them. And so there, there's this constant balance of like trying to focus on the development of your people, but necessarily you also have to focus on your own development. Otherwise you can't develop your people. Um, and I do think that in a lot of organizations with a lot of people that imbalance, you know, I would argue is not, it, there's not a very good balance. And it's, it, you know, especially in us culture, for example, we mm -hmm. tend to be so individualistic. We tend to be so focused on our own personal 
growth and career development um, that I think if I were to say as a gross generalization, um, I would say, you know, that more often than not, we need to err on the side of, you know, focusing on others and unselfishness <laughs> um, in, in, in corporations. Um, but not, again, this is the, the, it's the use of the terminology that can be tricky because we're not talking about pure altruism and rational selfishness is still going to be part of the mix because you have to make sure you, you can't take care of your people. You can't protect them. You can't develop them. You can't create opportunities for them unless you're, you are managing the internal politics. Um, and, and unless you are making sure that you are, you know, mediating all those other issues that require focus on yourself and the issues that you're dealing with each and every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you look, if you look at the way the military trains officers, so let's look at, um, Take, take Air Force, for instance, you have a career field in the Air Force. It's known as Superman School and they're, para, they're pararescue, right? Well, the people that are in charge of pararescue, which is Air Force Special Forces, are known as uh, their crows, their combat rescue officers. So the, para, the pararescueman is probably, bar none, I mean, they're Navy SEAL paramedics, okay? They embed with deltas and, para, I mean, they are as, they are as, unbelievable as you can get physically mentally these are the these are apex predators okay but the people in charge of them are even worse than that and the reason is they have to be worse so if you meet somebody who is let's say a green beret they're unbelievable you meet somebody that was an officer in the green berets they're at a whole nother level because the officers are held to even higher standards because how dare they not be able to um, display greatness and what they expect from their people. And it's that awesome leadership 101 freshman year question that you ask people some in, in, in leadership classes is, is you and the two people that you care the most about are in a canoe and you're out in the middle of a lake and the canoe flips, who do you save first? And if you're, if the, if the answer isn't myself, then you don't understand, um, you don't understand leadership. And the reason is, um, if, if as a, as a rescueman myself, if, if I can't save myself, I can't save you. I, I, if I don't put my mask on first, I can't save you. That's why you see a lot of these firefighter shows and stuff like that, where, they're in a burning building and they take their oxygen mask off and they put it on, they put it on the victim's face and then carry the victim out of the building. That's crap. That can't happen. You want to know why you can't make it that far. You, you've got to carry a whole nother human being. So you have to get that person to clean air and then you can start CPR and then you can start bringing them back. But we try to, we try to push that narrative, even through our media, through our heroes, this out, al this altruistic stuff. But remember Batman was a billionaire. Okay. And so it's cute when they talk about stuff like that, passion, sacrifice for others and all this stuff. But these are individuals that have already been given the opportunity to self-transcend, which is Maslow's sixth that a lot of people don't like to talk about. We always end up at that self-actualization, but there really is self-transcendence. And the people that tell you to do that stuff are usually people that have already been afforded the opportunity of having a G6. Okay. And in order to be good and be good for others, you have to be good yourself. 
And if you believe for some reason that you are somehow sacrificing for others, ask yourself, would you come to work if I took away your paycheck? You can still have your job, but I'm not going to pay you anymore. You're not coming back to work. So let's stop pretending that your work is about your passions. Your work is about paying your mortgage. Okay. And then over on this side, if I, if I said to you, um, you can, you can take this leadership role, but you're just going to basically die out. Well, you're not going to take that leadership role either. So I can't recruit you. So I have to pay you or you're not coming to work. Why? Because of your needs that you have as a human being. And then over here, I'll give you the position and I'll give you the title, but you're basically just going to die out. You know, you're going to die out through your self altruistic self-sacrifice to others. Okay. You're not going to take that position. And so I know it's very low brow, but you have to break it down at that level or people don't start to see all of the crap that's been fed to them to make them think that way. Because the truth is, is if you're in a college class and you're studying some humanities subject matter and your social justice left and right and altruism and all this kind of stuff, why don't you go work in a soup kitchen? Why don't, why don't you quit school and go help a mom and pop family farm that's, that's just keeping their head above water? And the truth is, is because you don't really want to. And it's because as a human being, you know damn well that you were brought into this world naked and alone and you are going to die naked and alone. And all you have is control over who you are and building yourself up. And if you want to do, Steve Jobs has done more for the poor than people that have actually started food banks. All right. Steve, if you want to help people be successful. You want, to, you want to be charitable with people, start a corporation and a company, make it successful and give people jobs and benefits and all this kind of stuff. We, we have, we have con construed volunteerism and free with good, and we have mistaken profit and success with greed, irrational selfishness, and bad. And that I don't know I don't know why we've done this. Maybe it's to put more money in the, in the offering plate every week. I don't know what it is, but it's a huge mistake because the truth is, is if you want to help somebody be successful and you can seriously help people. And then you, <laughs> you don't get it as a sacrifice because you have the tangible benefit of seeing the happiness in others and the success of others. And you have that fulfillment and therefore altruism doesn't exist in that either because you are rationally selfish by wanting to help others because you yourself will benefit. So as we have just a few more minutes, um, let's think for a moment about like, how can, how can the average day-to-day -day leader in an organization take run, like run with this idea of, you know, having a level of unselfishness in that you're focusing on your people, you're trying to develop your people, um, but also recognizing the need to practice self-care, the need to put forth sustainable effort, you know, where you don't burn yourself out, um, you know, putting forth the effort that will allow you to successfully navigate your own career. Because if, if you're a martyr, it doesn't actually help anyone who, who uh, reports up to you, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, like, what are some tangible things that a leader listening to this episode today can start doing to strike that balance? 
Well, first is, is first is you, you have to change your mindset of what it's about. Okay. So if you decide that you're in charge of, you're in, or you're in charge of an organization and you decide that you're going to do some professional development for your people, kind of like what Starbucks did, where they're like, Hey, you work for us. You can go to Arizona state university for free. We're going to pay your tuition. And by those people getting educations, they're going to grow. And some of them might leave, but some of them might stay with the company and some, some of them might do awesome things. So you've got to get out of the mindset of, um, doing doing things for my people so they can be better is somehow a sacrifice it's not because in the end you always win you make more money you get more legitimate power so that that right there first and foremost is is a complete uh, uh change of of thought and that's going to take some serious reflection because we've been programmed whether we want to believe it or not we have been programmed to think that altruistic way that Judeo-Christian programming that happens to so many people. Um, number two, it's what Adam Smith said, is you have to appeal to the self-interest of the baker. The baker, the baker has to understand that, uh, that they actually want to um, make you great bread. So you have to appeal to people's self-interest. Self-interest matters. I mean, John Locke, John Locke wrote about self-interest. All, all of your moral philosophers have all written about um, the self-interest of other people. Why? Because again, if I take away your paycheck, will are you come into work tomorrow? No, you're going to go find another job. And so leaders have to understand that both their self-interest matters, but the self-interest of your people matter too. So if you're going to put people into that hamster ball ramp, rat race that is freaking corporate America, they have to understand that there's a prize at the end of this thing. You can't expect people to, it's that article you and I wrote about the four hours. It's really all you get. You can't expect people to make that sacrifice because the sacrifice is really about family. If there isn't a reward waiting for them at the end. And so understanding the importance of self-interest of both yourself as the leader and of others is, is important. Um, it is also changing its, and again, this is reflection as well. You have to change your mindset about how you approach people. That's why servant leadership works. Um, that the philosophy isn't a second place finisher. Um, and last, you have to understand that as the leader in charge of an organization, your people are looking to you. Okay. And they are, they see you at the top and they will mimic, we're hairless chimps, they will mimic your behavior. And if you aren't physically healthy, emotionally healthy, there, you have good life balance, you're taking time off. Um, if you're not doing that stuff, your people aren't doing that stuff. And therefore, you're not going to get the best out of your people. And guess what? That means your organization isn't going to get the best out of your people. There are companies out there. Tan's book, The Great, The Good Job Strategy, she's out of MIT. That that is a book that I recommend to a lot of people to go to go and visit because you see that the simplicity of meeting the needs of people in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the, the physiological, the social, the belonging, the safety, all this kind of stuff. That's just not stuff that we teach in management 101 classes. They really, really matter. And the great leaders of the great companies in America understand these things. And they ensure that if that those bottom parts are taken care of, because if they're not, you can't get the best out of your people. 
And so the biggest thing takeaway that I would say for this is, is understand that when you serve your people, your people grow and become creative, innovative, come up with new ideas, and you yourself in the end are the person who benefits the most. Yeah. Amen. Well said. Um, ultimately, I, I suspect there, like, as you mentioned, it, this altruism mentality is ingrained in us. So I suspect there are a lot of people listening who have the same kind of internal struggle as I do, as I oh, a expressed. Lot. A lot. A um, lot. And, and so, you know, you don't, that's okay. Like, I think that's not abnormal. Um, the point is to just work towards over time, shifting your mindset um, in a way that will allow you to, to successfully navigate the complexities of the world you're in, the organization you're in, that you're going to be able to ultimately find the balance that will allow you to stay healthy and productive while also developing your people. And like you've mentioned several times today, Eric, Though, though it's a reciprocal process, right? The, 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 the more uh, aligned you are, the more, the greater your ability to help and support and mentor and coach and develop your people so that they can be more aligned and more productive, which then in turn helps you look better in your job, which allows you to get more resources, which will allow you to reinvest in your people. Like it's just an on, ongoing cycle. Um, and if we can remember that and focus on that, um, then we can make sustained effort over time that will allow us to have the greatest possible outcome for not just ourselves and our family, but for the people that we lead and serve and for our organizations that we're trying to help to be successful. Well, thank you, Eric. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate all of your insights. And uh, as we close, I just want to say again, as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that everyone can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And be able to find a little bit of balance between the, the selfish and the unselfish or the rational um, selfishness, right? That we need to have to be successful. And I hope everyone can have a great week. Thank you. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.